Hello and welcome to this episode of Travel Stories from the Back Again and Gone podcast, being recorded in the beautiful Spring Hill Suites, Statesboro, Georgia. Tonight, it's all about doing it solo. Traveling that is, you pervert. Thanks for listening. Welcome. Last week's travel was up in the upper state New York area, in the Albany area. Flew in on a Monday afternoon and then came back out late Thursday afternoon. Found myself in the Verona and New Hartford area early part of the week and then finished up back down towards Albany. And a beautiful part of the country. It's I've been up there several times in the last six or seven months, and every time I'm up there I find something new. Countryside is just absolutely beautiful, uh, great people, friendly people. Ended up, of course, spending the evening at the Turning Stone Resort and Casino, and my love-hate relationships with casinos continue. The hate part mostly comes from the fact that I never win anything, and I think my dad attributes it to the fact that I play with scared money. However, the love part of casinos, it is probably one of the greatest people-watching spots on the face of the earth. And uh, if I could open a medical supply business in the lobby of the Turning Stone Resort, I would be a very, very rich man because the majority of the people inside that casino were either on a rascal scooter, using a walker, or connected to some sort of an oxygen tube. So uh, the other thing I noticed is that if you run out of money and you decide to go hit up the ATM in the casino, it has got some crazy fees. Uh, pulling out 50 bucks will cost you about $9 in service charges. And, of course, if you're a big roller and you need anything on the north side of $2,000, plan on about a roughly about $130 service fee to go along with it. My one question about the casino was that I never saw any of the beautiful young people that they were hyping up in the TV commercials advertising the casino. Again, marketing uh, rules the world. Dinner that night was in the Upstate Tavern, where everything is truly local. Local beer selections. I fell in love with salt potatoes, which I've probably pseudo-made at home, but it's basically small potatoes boiled in a saltwater brine. Truly delicious. Uh, Made for a great, great accompaniment to, I think I ended up going with a traditional, some kind of a an upstate sausage of of some sort, but it was a good meal. If you're a dessert person, (laughs) treat yourself to the sugar rush for dessert. Check this thing out, right? Pinnacle cake, vodka, and vanilla ice cream. Pretty straightforward. Top that with some whipped cream, a mini Funfetti cupcake, a little bit of cotton candy, throw in a pixie stick, some rock candy pop, and, of course, sprinkles. And I asked one of the guys I was with, do you spell diabetes with one B or two? As it got later in the week, I found myself back in Albany and at Delmonico's Italian Steakhouse. There was three of us for this meal, and we decided to skip the table and sit at the bar and actually managed to catch probably the last 30 to to 40 minutes of happy hour. The waitress even, or the barmaid even, made sure to come by right before they shut happy hour and hit everybody out for one more round of drinks. This month, I'm taking the month off from booze, <laughs> so I did not partake in either of the uh, the casino at the Upstate Tavern or at Delmonico's. 
and due to the amount of people that were in the place, our food was a little bit late, so they did treat us to a round of uh, free drinks. So one of the guys started out with limoncello, and so I slid my glass down the uh, the bar to him, and he had mentioned that he had never had a uh, martini. Turned out the barmaid overheard him and said, I'll take care of you. Let me uh, let me mix you one of our famous chocolate martinis, <laughs> and I think he was inducted. So a chocolate martini is a shot of vanilla vodka, a shot of Kahlua, a shot of Bailey's, and a shot of Franchello. Franchello, I believe it is, a really cool hazelnut. Put that in a shaker with ice, mix it up, and then garnish with a microplane of, of chocolate. And I think he is either a chocolate fan now or a uh, martini fan. Dinner that night, I ended up going with the local chicken riggy, and it was a plate. It was so big of a plate that I ended up taking about half of it back to the hotel room. The pasta was just perfectly al dente done. Huge chunks of uh, white chicken breast. The traditional long peppers that every time I end up in the uh, the New Jersey, New York area, I find myself enjoying more and more, topped with onions and then drenched in this wonderful light cream sauce. A truly great, great ambiance, uh, a fun place, reminds me of what you would consider a, a typical New York steakhouse. So tonight we're talking about solo travel. I mean, we're about 240 days into 2019, and at this point I spend roughly 160 nights on the road, you know, business mixed with pleasure. I've been to Canada, I've been to Nevada, Ohio, Texas, just a few of the stops. And, and a lot of those nights have been alone, right? And so, you know, it, it can get tough for some or easy for some, I guess I should say, to, to hit the hotel and hang the do not disturb sign on the door and then wait for the sun to come up the next morning. For me, uh, just not the way that I really like to do things. I like to get out. You know, when it comes to solo travel, especially for business, you know, if you're doing a gap year and you're heading across the U.S. or heading across Europe, that's different. You're staying in hostels. But, again, for business travelers, it's really easy to go down one of two roads. Is One, you become a raging alcoholic. Or, two, you end up barricading yourself in a hotel room and just become a, a hermit, you know, every evening. Key word in solo travel is solo, right? You're alone, no spouse, no kids, typically not a co-worker with you. You'll have interactions during the day. At night, you know, when the sun goes down, it's really easy to become overcome with boredom. boredom you know, So what do you do? You're in a strange town. If there's a knock on your hotel room door, it's one of two things. It's either the Uber Eats guy bringing you something to snack on or somebody that's uh, willing to let you pay them money to become the new best friend. You know, nobody's going to come on the door, to knock on your door and go, hey, let's go out and do something. So, But you have to go out and do something. Very simple, right? You know, in the past, I used Google Trips. I've used TripIt for years to organize my travel itinerary. Very simple. I've talked about it before. Google Trips actually had the uh, the intelligence behind it to once again look at where your tickets, your calendar, where you were staying, and then tell you some of the cool places to go, right? What's local, where to eat, what to go check out. And unfortunately, Google is decommissioning that application. Maybe that's my love-hate relationship with Google. It seems like every time that they have some kind of an app that I really enjoy, eventually they end up crushing it. 
they had an RSS reader for reading news feeds for years, and it was phenomenal. And then suddenly they ended up pulling the plug on it. So right now, my pretty much go-to for finding out typically where to eat and attractions and things to do relies on Yelp, which I've been a long-time user of Yelp. And I'm starting to rely more and more on Google reviews. Google's world domination continues. I mean, everything they have is tied in through Google Maps, through your Gmail. And there's really, they do, I think the reviews between Yelp and Google pretty much hold true. I don't think one is weighted more heavily than the other. They both seem to typically give the same place, you know, the same three stars, same four stars. But it is interesting to read the details on Yelp versus Google reviews. I think Yelp to me has always become more of this clickish kind of, they have these Yelp hangouts and, and Yelp groups that get together where Google reviews seems to be more individual. So, but you know, getting out and, and doing things, I'm a huge fisherman and, and for years I carried a, a pack rod or a fishing rod in my car with me, especially when I was based out of Atlanta. I spent a lot of time in the Tennessee area and there's tons and tons of water and lakes to fish with being based out of Florida same thing now you know there's no shortage of places to uh, to throw a worm out into the water another thing I've talked about in the past is geocaching and if you've never done geocaching think of it as an electronic treasure hunt right people basically hide a cache or a uh, a treasure and it could be something as small as is a Altoids box, and I've seen some caches as big as a ammunition box that you would pick up at the local uh, Army Navy store. But people will fill those boxes with small treasures, little trinkets. Could be Hot Wheels cards, could be you know some kind of handmade crocheted uh, coaster for your drinks. But they hide these, not typically in plain sight, but but. Easy enough to find, but hard enough where the average person that's not looking for it's going to find it. And then they note the longitude and latitude in the application and then put a couple little clues about it and post it. And they have an app. When I started doing geocaching, you actually had to go online, look up the area that you were going to be in, write down the uh, the coordinates for it and then go out searching. Now there's actually an app. I think the app's about a buck. Well, it's not much. That lets you use your smartphone to track it. A lot of fun. I've done it with all the kids. Uh, actually, my wife and I were in Chattanooga last year, I think. And we were walking around the town, and there was a couple. And you could tell they were looking for something. And sure enough, we ended up talking to them and found out that they did geocaching as well. But it's really cool. I'll put a link in the show notes, but I believe it's just geocaching.com or .org. The other thing that I, I do quite often is everybody in our house is readers. We always have a endless supply of books. When we relocated from Fort Lauderdale up to Orlando, I don't know how many books we ended up donating, but it wasn't enough because we still have tons and tons. And if you follow any of my Instagram feed, you'll see that I donate a lot of those books back through the Little Free Libraries. And if you've never heard of Little Free Libraries, again, I'll put a, a link in the show note. It's kind of one of those, kind of like the penny jar that you see at the gas station. You know, need one, take one, have an extra one, leave one. So people build these little kind of self-contained huts. 
I guess I'd say they're probably, I don't know, six, seven inches deep, a couple feet tall, a couple feet wide. And we've seen some really cool decorated ones. People, have, we've seen one that was built into a stump of a tree. We've seen ones in front of houses in Savannah that actually look like the house. But it's nothing more than kind of a waterproof uh, place to store books. So again, there's a there's a map on the Little Free Library's website. You can put in your area code, I mean, your zip code, and it'll tell you what libraries are close by. But you drive up and you basically stock it with books. And if you happen to see a book that you'd like to read, pull it out, read it, and then hopefully donate it or pay it forward to the next person. So actually this week, I'm doing a road trip. I started out in Orlando and made my drove all the way up to Knoxville and have been working my way back down towards Orlando. And I think I've made three or four stops at Little Free Libraries, kind of uh, paring down our book collection at home as I go. The other thing that you can do is check out, look for festivals and events. I have a friend that was in Philly not long ago, and I think he was there and happened to catch the Chinese festival, which was uh, great. He had a blast. But a lot of times, hotels will have a calendar of local events. Ask the desk clerk or get online and Google the city that you're in. If you're into sports, more than likely there is some kind of softball field or recreation park not too far from uh, the hotel. You can always go and watch some some games. People playing, uh, kids playing softball this time of year. Football starting to kick up. Food trucks. I've talked about it with Buffalo that we were in Buffalo a couple nights. And all of a sudden, on a Tuesday night, the town was just barren of people. Well, they have a huge food truck roundup that everybody seems to, to migrate towards. Great place to, to hang out, get some food, and, and meet some people and get some, some feel for the local local flavor. Uh, we had such a good time in Buffalo that actually, when I got back, ended up booking a trip with my wife. Ended up in Buffalo for three or four days, did the whole touristy Niagara Falls thing, and we'll we'll post a podcast about that. I'm trying to convince her to to come back on and talk about the experience, and you can get her, her experience versus mine. You know, the other thing to do with, with traveling is plan for delays. There are going to be times when, you know, flights are going to be missed. You're going to have to regroup and go see a movie. You know, don't... Uh, don't just lock yourself in a hotel room. The other thing that I highly recommend is to keep some kind of a journal. Especially, uh, it's easy to do it with pictures. We all have smartphones on our cameras, and the phone does a great job of geotagging, which is so you know, so you kind of know the area that you were in and where you took the pictures at. But do a little bit more than that. I use an app called Day One. And it works It works pretty cool. I use another app called IFTT, If Then, Then This. So the way day one works is you can create multiple journals. So I have one journal that actually pulls in from Instagram. So anything that I post on Instagram already automatically gets fed into an Instagram journal inside day one. But then I also use uh, the IFFT app that anything that I post on Twitter gets put into a journal. I have a journal, a, a typical gratitude journal that I use as I travel and throughout my day or, or each morning that I that I post something in. But the other thing that I do is I have a journal for travel. It's very easy to go in there, 
upload pictures, add notes. I have another journal for all the places that my wife and I have been. But highly encourage you. It doesn't have to be something that's very, very formal. But the nice thing about day one is that it gives you the ability to go online and print a book of uh, your journals. So you have a really cool, really easy to, to create book of your travels. I don't know if I would do it if I if I did a big two-week trip through Europe. Yeah, I'd probably do one book for one trip. But at some point, I'll, I'll pull the the book of uh, all the, the journal of my wife and I's travels and put it together in some kind of a, a book or some kind of fashion. You know, for some, dining alone is understandably uncomfortable. Fortunately, I don't have that chip inside me. I have no problem sitting at a table alone. But if that is something that, that kind of bugs you a little bit, try sitting at the bar. Even if you don't drink, more than likely you will find yourself in conversation with somebody. When I was up in Albany earlier in the year, I ended up in the bar of the Hilton Garden Inn. And I don't know if I was eating or not. I may have just gone down there to, to grab a quick beer. Ended up talking to the guy next to me for about 20 minutes. And by the end of our conversation, he's, you know, offering to share his uh, chips and dip and wings with me. More than likely, if you're hanging out at the at the hotel and in a restaurant, at the bar, more than likely you're probably going to end up meeting somebody that's traveling as well. And what do they say? A stranger is just a friend you've never met. You've got to be able to go out and talk to people. You can't sit back, not introduce yourself, not ask questions. Believe me, people in this world are generally very, very nice, you know, and everybody is just as nervous about talking to everybody else as you are. The other thing is, do you have a hobby or a passion? A lot of people like to work out. Of course, most every hotel is equipped with some kind of a fitness center. A lot of them have a reciprocating gym membership with the robo gym down the block if you're into crossfit that's a great community there is a website where you can again put in the zip code of the area that you're in and it'll show you all the local crossfit boxes you know call them up go in and do a wad that's probably one of the greatest communities that i've ever i've ever met with you know when i was doing a lot more crossfit i always looked forward to to going to different towns and, and meeting some of the different people I've said before, I love to to fly fish. At one point, I was taking my fly tying kit with me and would, would tie tie flies in the afternoon or in the evening to take some of the boredom out of the day. And, you know, think of, of what you're doing is, you know, is it portable? Is it something that I can take with me? Do you like to to color? Do you like to, uh, to do uh, crochet and things like that? It's very easy to do it. So there you have it. Kind of a quick one this week. Get out and do something. Don't, if you're traveling by yourself, don't look at it as a hindrance. Look at it as an opportunity to grow a little bit. Do some things that make you uncomfortable. Believe me, you'll appreciate it. Thanks for listening and safe travels. Hey, wait a second. Don't go. Make sure you check out all the blogs over at HypeAmerica.com. From food to travel to just general life humor, we cover all the topics. Thanks again.